So hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Women in Confidence. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Betty Ensenalis. I hope that's I pronounced it correctly. Now, Betty is an award-winning entrepreneur and women in fintech powerless recruiter in the United Kingdom, where she is coming from today. And it's about 11 o'clock at night over in the UK. So thank you very much, Betty, for, for staying up so late. Now, Betty is also the founding director of Becruit Limited, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in the podcast. So prior to entering the exec search arena, Betty obtained 15 years experience working for major industry leaders, such as Thomson and Financial, Capital Economics and the Financial Times. So a real financial theme there. And Betty is currently working as a global talent acquisition manager at Euromoney Institutional Investor, recruiting for executive commercial roles in the Americas, EMEA and UK. So Betty, hello and welcome to the show. And wow, that is quite an introduction and a lot going on in your world. How are you? I'm super good. Thank you so much for having me here. And it's, it's a pleasure to discuss uh, about confidence and hopefully share some of the ideas for people who's listening today. Yeah, thank you. Now, how I like to start my podcast, and I think it's really important, it sets the tone for the direction and what we're going to talk about. So Betty, what does having confidence mean to you? Well, Vanessa, I think for me, it's a lot of things. It's not just one word. For me, confidence, it's, first of all, having to practice things that you're, I don't think nobody is born confident, you know, I think confidence is something that you have to practice and it's getting better and better things that you like to do it's also being authentic to yourself is being who you are and showing up to the world in the way that you you are you know with your flaws and your strengths um i think confidence also comes from energy you know when you have that boost of energy and you transmit that to the other people it's it's confidence for me as well and also it's trust on yourself is believing on who you are, the things that you can do, and also understanding the things that you cannot do. But also, if you show up understanding those, you will definitely are confident, you know, even if you know how to do them, you know, or you're vulnerable. Vulnerability as well for me is being confident. I think um, that's part of being confident is being able to say to people, I don't understand, I don't know this. And and literally for me, the most, the best concept of, of confidence is outwork your self-doubt. So work on that, you know, on, on the things that you don't believe that you can do, work at them. That for me is being confident. Great. You give me loads. I've been taking notes as you, you're going along. So you're giving me loads to talk about. So Betty, would you describe yourself as a con- confident woman? Well, in many aspects of my life, I'm very confident. And in so many other aspects of my life, I'm not that confident. I I think a lot of people who don't know me think that I'm extremely confident in mainly in my workplace and um, public speaking, presentations, negotiations, recruitment. Um, I'm confident at sports. I've been an insurance athlete for 20 years. I, I do a lot of things that I practice and, and know those things I'm extremely confident because I've done them. So I know I am very capable to do them. So when I do a presentation, for example, and I prepare the presentation and I practice it and rehearse it, I come um, across that I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm saying, and I, I nail it a lot of the times. And 
However, in some other aspects of my life, I'm not that confident. Why? Because I'm not that good. For example, I am dyslexic. So that has been a struggle in many aspects of my life. So for example, I struggle a lot to read in public. Uh, when I have to read like freestyle, some article, I really get super nervous. Uh, my heart pumps a lot. I sweat and I, I feel really not confident at all. Or sometimes on my personal life, when you like someone a lot, also sometimes you just feel like, oh my God, is this person is going to like me or not? So sometimes the questions of self-doubt also come. And I think it's very natural as humans that although we are confident in so many aspects, we cannot be as confident in others. And I think saying um, that I'm 100% confident, it will be a lie. I think that in the things, again, in the things that I practice and the things that I do a lot, I am very, you know, I have all this kind of power inside myself, but in a lot of other aspects, I think I need to, some work to do. Um, and so, yes, that I will say that's, that's my answer. And with the dyslexia and the reading, um, say, an article or a paper that's put in front of you, you said, you, you know, you swear and your heart beats. How do you then calm yourself so you can, in that moment, be confident? Wow, that, that's a great question. I normally, now that I'm an adult and that I have a lot more confident with my fears, with my struggles, I sometimes pause. And the best way for me to, to calm me down is actually being vulnerable, vulnerable with the audience when I'm reading. And I just say, hi guys, I am dyslexic. I am super nervous right now reading this article. So I please excuse I just want to ask you to be patient because, you know, I'm just nervous. And so many times that really cools me down because it makes me feel a lot more human. It makes me feel that I can definitely just make mistakes and people completely understand. So that's a way for me to cool down. And another way is just to, you know, just to pause, to do it a little slowly, to don't rush it, to think in my head that, you know, it's not a big deal if I make a mistake and it's not a big deal if I read slowly, it's totally okay. So that's how I cool down myself these days. But when I was younger, I felt terrible, you know, like I really pushed myself and it, what it, it created that before when I was younger, it, it really developed a lot more fear and a lot more fear and I blocked myself and sometimes I couldn't even talk. But again, it's something that with time, you start understanding that you're human that if you express your fears and you sometimes you express your vulnerability with your weaknesses, people get it, you know, and I think we have to be a lot more open with the things that we're scared. I think so certainly from my experience when I've been I don't know, public speaking or I've been in meetings and, you know, my heart is pounding and, you know, I'm sweating and, you know, stumbling over my words. I think that being honest to people and saying, I'm really nervous right now or, you know, I didn't have enough sleep or whatever it may be, really almost lets the whole room sigh of relief because everyone is probably feeling the same. But it takes quite quite a bit of confidence, maybe experience, maybe some courage to be able to articulate, look, I'm nervous right now. But I guess as you're right, that comes with maturity, that comes with age, that comes from practice, as, as you've said brilliantly, Betty. The one thing I want to explore with you, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, is trust and trust in yourself. Give me a little bit more about that. How do you trust in yourself? 
Well, first of all, I think to trust in yourself, you need to start knowing yourself. I think a lot of people is not as aware as others. I, for example, have done a huge amount of work on self-awareness, still in a journey, of course, because I still, you know, like it's always room to learn every single day. I do a lot of meditations and I, I do like to get feedback from people as well to understand, you know, you know, so many things that I, I don't know that I'm not aware that I'm doing wrong and I can get better. I do a lot of kind of, I ask my team or I ask people, what can I get better? What I can do better? But also I'm more aware to who I am um, at this age, but because I've done the work, you know, I, I also seen a lot of people my age and older than have no idea. You know, they still do things that you're thinking, oh my gosh, how can you do that? And then they just don't even know that they're making mistakes or they're just being arrogant or whatever. But um, the trust, coming back to the answer, it's it comes a lot to understanding who you are and understanding your limits, your weaknesses, your strengths. Um, and I say limits, I don't like to think that I have limits, but I think we all do, you know, we all do. And so understanding that there is things that you can do better than others and understanding that and, and developing those skills is a part of how I make that trust in myself, but also stretching myself to being on a comfort zone and getting out of my comfort zone constantly and doing that purposely, you know, that I think have given me a lot of more, more trust. So a lot of things that I used to do, let's say in the, in, in a not so bad, like I'll give you an example because I think it's going to be hard for me to explain it this way. For example, there were things on, on boundaries that I didn't put when I was younger uh, because I just thought, oh my God, you know, I don't want to say no because this person is going to be upset. Understanding that sometimes these situations put me in a difficult situation and understanding that through time is better to say no than to say no to yourself first. You know, you start practicing that now consciously and being able to trust that sometimes you just have to say no to things. Sometimes the journey gives you the answers to understand that there are things that you can do and some others that you cannot do. There are things that you need to do and some others that you don't have to do, you know? And that's the trust. You build that trust through mistakes. Uh, you build that trust to self-love. You build that trust when you push your own boundaries and you get things that you never thought you could achieve. And then you're thinking, wow, I never thought I could achieve this. And then you do it. And then you're like, wow. I can trust that I can do something bigger next time, you know? So I think it's a lot about also pushing those boundaries on your own and, 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 and trying to be the best version of yourself constantly. I think that that's for me, how you get trust. I want to go back to something you said about knowing your limitations and I want to understand what, what skill have you wanted to have or to learn? And it's, it's just, you just realize it's not never going to happen. You're not going to be able to get there. Wow. <laughs> never thought about, well, of course I think about it, but um, wow, the skills. I think, for instance, with my dyslexia, 
there is things, for example, that a location wise, I, I really struggle to find directions and I get lost constantly and I kind of give up, although I know there is a lot of apps and a lot of people guide me and all of it, but I don't know. Sometimes this, this creates so much stress in my head sometimes that I just thought, do you know what? I need to find just this skill is not really for me. I really, it, it creates a lot of anxiety. So I rather try to now, for example, when I go to a place, I try to ask a lot of people for guidance or I try to call the place before and say, excuse me, could you give me like, what is, what is the building close to it? Because I cannot really read maps. It's very difficult for me. And so that's an skill that I kind of give up on because I just, it really stresses me. It, it really generates me a lot of anxiety. Um, although I know that if I put my heart on and my soul, probably I'll, I'll get to develop it. But I, I think that I'd rather put my energy in other things that are easier for me and I get the best out of me, not the worst. And I think that that's another choice that I'm doing. You know, I think that there are things that physically, I don't think there is a lot of impossible things in life, but there are things that, is it worth for me to invest all this time and energy and a stress? Or should I put that energy on maybe uh, instead of getting so stressed, maybe I put the energy calling, uh, getting someone to help me or buying a taxi or paying the taxi to get there. And then I arrive on time and I'm calm and I can do my meeting, you know? So I think it's about also knowing that limit and seeing if you can have a possible solution and, and put the energy where you need to put it. Sometimes it's good to say, I'm not good at this. This, this is something I don't want to be doing. So let's do something else what I'm much better at and I can get a lot better results. Brilliant. I love it. It's great. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> it was a bit of a mean question because it's, you know, I like to focus on positives, but I think your answer gave us so much. You know, there are strategies, there are ways around it. Spend your energy on things that you're good at and ask for help on the things you, you know you're not going to need the energy, you don't want to put the energy into. Totally. I love it. Thank you for that. Well, let's talk about your career. So I gave the introduction, um, you know, you're in recruitment or sorry, talent acquisition. You've also, you're the founding director of a company and you've worked in um, exec search for quite some years now. You've worked in um, fintech and various financial institutions. In your own words then, Betty, how did you get into um, what you do and were these conscious choices or we did, I don't know, did you just let go of resistance and go with it? Well, it's a part of both. I think that in life, there's a lot of things that I think we have control on and we show up to them. And there's a lot of others that surprise us and life kind of opens a path for us to, to enter. So I, I'll give you a little bit of my background. I studied three careers. So I was the rebel child from family, which absolutely got expelled from a lot of schools. I studied medicine, then law, and then I ended up studying economics, you know, in London. I was never academic, absolutely never like it. Um, and then I didn't even know what I wanted to do in my life because just I, I was very good at many things, but also very bad at many others. So, but I have no idea. And the one thing was very clear to me was that I was very good at connecting people. And I always have been extremely good at connecting people, friends, couples, 
people's to jobs. And, but I didn't know what career could be for me. So I start selling uh, from um, equity research to investment research uh, for different companies and banks. But I always thought there is some gap here in my heart that I still feel that this is not, it's not me. You know, like I, I like the industry. I was earning good money, but it was just like numbers. And, and that was that. And I always thought what I really love is working with people. I actually like working with people, but I have no idea. And then one of my clients by accident asked me to join his firm of recruitment about 15 years ago. And I was so ready to say, you know, whatever, whatever that is different from what I'm doing, because what I'm doing is not filling me at all. And I jump and cut my salary, big chunk of money. And I just jump with my eyes closed, uh, but with an open heart to learn, with an open heart to make it work. And 15 years later, I'm doing this for a living. And so to answer the question uh, more precisely, I think that it was an aspect of interest on the industry, uh, but also it was an accident. You know, it just, I think that my willingness to help people, my love to connecting people and understanding and listening to people of what they want, what they were looking for, the struggles that I have looking for a position for many, many years, got me to talk to a lot of recruiters in my own path. And I always thought, you know what? This is something I could do. This is something, and because on my own struggle finding a job, I had to go to many recruiters, many talent acquisition uh, managers, discuss the roles, being frustrated about doing my CV, being frustrated because I didn't get the interview. I started getting better and better at that without having that job. So when the job happened, I was quite, I had a lot of experience, you know, without even knowing it. So that was very lucky. And I still absolutely love my job. I absolutely love connecting companies to great candidates and great candidates to great jobs. And I love learning about people's struggles, people's dreams, people's goals. And I love to be that bridge to help connecting those in between. Yeah, it must be so satisfying working in that area of making those connections and really and changing people's lives, you know, a, a new job or a new direction. Um, yeah, it must be so satisfying to see that. So one thing I'm really curious about, Betty, is because you're, you, you know, you're dealing with people all the time. So you must meet people, you must talk to people all the time. And I guess, it, you know, bringing it into confidence I mean, you must see lots and lots of people who are just on paper. You're like, you're incredible. You know, you've got the most amazing resume, but they lack confidence. How do you coach them so that because going through an interview, I've been through interviews. I'm an interviewer as well. It's a stressful situation. It's almost it's not a normal situation. It feels quite forced. It shouldn't have to. It should be just in my mind. It's a conversation of equal balance of power. But for many people, it's very stressful and they lack confidence in those meetings how do you coach your clients male and female how to be confident in an interview or a recruitment star meeting well first of all uh, you've got to prepare I think a lot of people come to interviews without preparation and I think that that's the worst mistake you can ever make and coming prepare is not only reading about the company it's really understanding the role it's really making good questions listening to those questions elaborate your story 
being a storyteller, not just like, blah, 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 you know, you are telling your story. You're trying to stand out from a paper. You know, you're going to bring your personality. So it's not only about just reading about a job spec, jumping to a call. It's preparation on the set. It's preparation on your outfit. It's preparation not understanding the, the, the industry. So you're going, for example, for a financial services or bank interview. You cannot show up with jeans, you know. It's, it's about um, rehearsing your answers. It's about going through different uh, like questions and answers, examples that you can find on Google and you can rehearse. Probably they're not the ones that they're going to ask you. However, you, if you're prepared and if you sit and look at the scenarios, get your numbers correct, get your examples correct, you can come out without like being so surprised about the answers that you need to bring. But most important, I think that my biggest advice is always be yourself. And I know it sounds quite, you know, like everybody says be yourself, but I do think that it's hard sometimes to to show vulnerability as well in an interview to say, look, I don't understand this question. Could you ask this question again? Or, you know, I, I don't think that's, that's something I'm very strong at. However, I could learn, you know, being yourself with the tone that you talk, with the personality you have, with the energy that you can bring. I always believe, Vanessa, that in every single job or relationship that you have personally or professionally, if you show up being yourself, you're going to attract the things that are meant for you. And I know it also, this is also sounding very kind of like, oh, spiritual. But I think that when you put masks on and you just smash the interview, but you're not really know how to do the job because you lie, because you prepare those lies and then you do the job, you're going to lose that job in two, three months. So I think it's a combination of preparation, it's a combination of authenticity, of asking good questions, listen really well, actively listen, read before you, know, you go to the interview, the job spec, the company, the reviews, the social media, so you can come confident to, to the interview to be prepared. The, the best way to be confident is be prepared. When you're prepared, your heart can be, you know, pumping, your hands can be sweating, but you have a sense of belief in yourself because you know you prepare. When you don't prepare yourself, then you lack of confidence because you know that in any question, maybe you're not know what to say, or you know the company's uh, headquarters, or you know what they're doing, the clients. So then you're not going to do well. So that's, that's, that's what I think you should do to get that confidence to your interviews. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I really love it when I'm interviewing people and the candidate says, I'm just going to check my notes. I love it because I just think actually that shows that they're prepared. They've done their work and they're just going through to remind themselves. Because I always say to candidates or I try to say is like, I'm not testing your memory. You know, I'm not going to test you on everything on our website or everything that, that the press has put out about our organisation. I'm not even testing you really on your memory about your resume what I want to know is, are you prepared? Have you done your research into us? Have you actually spent some time looking at your resume? So I love it. I love it. And anybody who gets recruited by me, they've normally said, I'm just going to check my notes for that. I'm like, yes. And I always take notes into any interview that I go into, not that I've been interviewed for a while, but 
it's yeah I think yeah <laughs> I was thinking actually when you were when you were talking about preparation now Betty and I have actually haven't met um, it was Betty has kindly stepped in to do this interview very last minute so I'm wondering how I'm doing Betty with my preparation here any tips? amazing <laughs> amazing amazing well done <laughs> thank you well I guess it goes back to what you were saying is that I've been prepared to do interviews and this podcast for a while. So I guess I'm just drawing on some of that and the practice I've put in previously. Right. So let's talk about setting up an organization. So you set up Bacruit Limited. Tell mm -hmm. me about that and why you stepped into being a business owner. Well, it was also, again, I think it was, it was, it was one of those moments where I never was ready. I always thought in my head, I wanted but it's one of those moments where you have to do it before you're ready. Um, basically, my my the client that offered me the job had to go to America. And so we had that conversation one day in the afternoon. And he said, I'm going to Miami, closing down the business, but you're doing quite well. Why? And I thought, oh my gosh. Then I went to an interview because I was desperate at that moment. I didn't know what to do. And then I went to an interview and it just didn't feel right for me. I just... I, I felt maybe this is my moment to, to just jump into the unknown and start my own company. And it was a combination of luckily understand the industry because I work in the industry before. So it wasn't not jumping to the complete unknown. I think the unknown was more about how to run a company, like getting your, your taxes and getting the accountant and setting it up, what is the name, the logo or the website, blah, blah, blah. But I had experience. I mean, I was not just a newbie uh, recruiter. I, I already worked in recruitment for uh, two years and also worked in investment research and financial services for a long period before. So I already knew who to contact. I knew how to do the job. And I just didn't know a lot of other things that I was learning as I was going and I struggled in many ways because I had no idea. But again, it's coming back to any entrepreneur. Like you have to ask questions. You have to go and go and stretch yourself and go and be flexible, talk to people, join networks, find information, study more, work harder. And my company growth to um, eight people company about four years ago, then then I, before the pandemia, I decided that, well, with the pandemia, actually, uh, before that, it just kind of things didn't go very well in the market. And I decided to, let's say, be a solopreneur. And uh, from then on, I just been a solopreneur. I have worked with different companies now. I'm working for Euromoney. And I'm still doing my own business when I have the time, because obviously I also have a lot of my plate working with a lot of different acquisitions like that I have to recruit. But it's been a wonderful journey and also a very difficult journey, you know, a challenging journey, because you have to go and sell yourself to like in, in, a, in a way that you have to sell a brand that is a small one, you know, in a city that is full of recruiters. And you have to try to be different and try to bring something different to your clients. So it's challenging, but at the same time, it has given me a lot of more confidence on understanding that is possible, that I've done it, that I have made money, that I have run a team, that I have had my own business, my own office, 
and that if I've done it once, I'm going to do it again if I wanted to. However, being an entrepreneur is not also the dream to everybody. You know, sometimes other priorities comes along. And my priority now is I have a lot more life balance, which I didn't have before because of the business. And in the last three years, I travel like I never traveled before. I travel pretty much every week or every two weeks because I don't have a team that I have to run and an office that I have to pay, you know? So this has been also for me amazing. Yeah, It's been wonderful. So what's next for you? Where, where's your career? Where do you want to take it? Wow. Well, I think I would like to take it uh, into keep, keep on working as a talent acquisition partner, recruiter to different firms uh, because I love what I'm doing. However, I also love to get involved into education projects. So I work with different organizations to raise funds for kids that lack of opportunities back in Latin America and in the world. So I, I kind of are part of two big organizations. One is called ORT UK and another one is called Children Change Colombia for my country. So I like to be able to have the time to put my heart and soul to raise those funds for, for these kids <clears throat> on the professional level, love having my own personal clients that need coaching or, you know, recruitment advice or career advice on my small free time, working with companies, running the teams to just being able to have a really good talent acquisition team. And yeah, that's, that's how I see my future um, in the next couple of years making a difference, you know, and trying to give my best to be able to help people to get where they want to be. I just want to go probably back actually in time to when you did the TEDx talk. So I watched it this morning. So it was amazing. (laughs) How did that come about? Tell me about how you prepared for that. Because standing on a stage that's videoed and is going to be going global probably makes a lot of people's knees wobble and they're like, no, thanks very much. I'll leave that to somebody else. But how did you go about doing it? Wow, I absolutely love this question, Vanessa, because it was, I mean, first of all, they called me from SOAS University, which is a very big university in the UK. And for me, it was an honor and a privilege to be called by them because they wanted me to participate in my talk as as an immigrant entrepreneur. Um, The first reaction was like, wow, this is amazing. This is going to be a walk in the park because I've done so many events talking in public that I I felt very confident I really thought okay this is something definitely I can do and it's going to be I I I thought it was going to be easy somehow and then a lot of fears start happening between the moment that I got that first call I had a month to prepare which wasn't for me long enough combined with my social life, my trips, my work. So you think that you have enough time, but then you're thinking, oh my gosh, do I have the time? (laughs) Time is running out. And so I started doing a lot of research and then I find out that I had to put a lot of my personal life as well there. And and that's why things start getting me very, very nervous because when I talk about facts and figures, it was easier. But when I have to start putting my self story there, I thought, oh, my God, am I what should I share that is interesting enough to inspire people, you know, and I have a really interesting life story, but you kind of have to really capture 
the moments that are relevant for the talk, but also that can inspire people. Because the reason of these talks is actually to change a little bit of the world and the, the way we think, right? So it was a combination of freaking out, crying, wanted to give it up a week before I told to the girl who helped me, like my, 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 my secretary. And she was absolutely fantastic because she kept on saying to me, you got this. And I was like, I don't, I, I, have, I definitely don't have this, you know, like I'm definitely freaking out. I'm going to give up. And she was like, no, you, you won't give up. And I think partly for me to have the support of my friends telling me that I got this when I completely lost the faith that I, I have, although I knew I have done a lot of different talks before, this one, as you said, it was a different one because it was also about me, my story. And it was me with a certain amount of time within a circle that you can walk in front of 600 people from university, which are super well-educated, and it's going to go viral on, on the text, TEDx uh, website. So it's overwhelming. And again, going back to the journey was a, was a very emotional journey for me. Uh, two days before the talk, I was going to call the organizers and said I was, I was sick. I just thought I, I really made the decision. I'm not doing this. I'm freaking out. Forget it. And you won't believe what happened. And I want to share this because this was a gift for me in my life. I was in Manchester with one of my best friends uh, crying in a pret, which is a coffee place. And I said to him, I'm going to make the call. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to let you all down, but I'm not doing this. I am not able to do this because what if I do it wrong? And I start crying and a, a lady from nowhere came to my coffee table and she gave me a little paper. You won't believe this. This is like, for me, it's one of those moments of miracle moments that it says, let go, let God. And she gave it to me when I was crying. And I look at the paper and I thought, oh my gosh. <sighs> and Vanessa, the rest is history. I, I show up. I did what I think it was a, it, it was a good talk. I wasn't nervous. I came with love, showing up to something I practiced. I rehearsed a million times and, and feeling very happy with the outcome of the, of the talk. Because from that talk onwards, I have received a lot of good compliments. I have received a lot of uh, invitations to talk in public. And, and again, I have a lot more confidence in achieving what I thought I could not do. So that gave me a lot of confidence for sure in my journey. I love that story, that, that sort of moment when that lady handed you that note was, it was just so meant to be, love it. Look, I'm quite a practical person, but I just love these sort of like moments of spirituality. It was like, it was meant to be amazing. When you were talking about TEDx and preparations and nerves, I also had another guest on quite a while ago now, and she said the same, she thought it would be super easy, but she said TEDx or the TED Talks, was way more intense than she thought it was ever going to be but she got through it like you and is incredibly proud of her work so Betty my final question to you is what's your one piece of advice to women in particular who are looking to build confidence what would you advise them to do I will definitely advise two things the number one is be yourself and be happy of who you are with your flaws and with 
your mistakes and with the things you need to work on and with your darkness and your ugliest parts and the beautiful ones and the uplifting ones and the all of it, all of it. You know, for 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 me, that's a great advice. Be who you are. And and the second one, which I think is the one that we can have to put work on, it's push your boundaries. So if you don't like public speaking, try to do public speaking. If you don't like to ski on the black lines, go on skiing the black lines. Well, of course, if you know how to ski. Um, if you are very scared to do presentations, volunteer to do presentations because that's the only way you're going to be able to learn of you, of your fears. That's the only way you're going to overcome your fears and become more confident and practice those things that make you struggle are going to make you trust a lot more in who you are. Thank you. Amazing advice. And thank you also, Betty, for being authentically you as well and not showing up and, and being anybody else. And I love that because for me and my experience of being authentic has taken a lot of time to show up as me I mean I'm 49 soon and it's taken no 50 soon my word you know it just it, it takes time it it really does but I love the fact that you're really reinforcing that message to show up and be you you'll be a much more confident person so thank you so much and also I should remind I just say again thank you so much for stepping in to be a guest on the show so so quickly um, and it's been amazing and it's been lovely to meet you Betty thank you Love to meet you, Anessa, and thank you so much for having me today.